You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Well, we had the awesome privilege this weekend of having... South Africa in the house and Scotland in the house. That was such an awesome privilege. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I, I, I have to be honest with you, I have absolutely no idea what's about to happen in here. I don't. And, but if you've never gone through this class, we'll, we'll hold it again at some point, but I highly recommend it, whatever station of life or your vocation might be. Uh, this is applicable to all phases of life. And uh, this is part of what it means to, uh, see, you don't have to leave your mind behind to step into the temple. You can bring it with you, but you've got to have the experience of the heart. You know, Jonathan David Helser has like a, internship program called the 18-inch journey which basically talks about bringing everything that we know in our mind that we read from the word but actually having it open up in our heart so that we have experience we have encounter there's no acts two without the upper room without the holy spirit dropping in the upper room and people having an experience that they never had before in their lives and then bringing it out into the streets there's nothing to bring we have nothing to export if we don't have encounters if we're not being transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory so i have a feeling that that's the exercise that we're going to go into today that we're going to be practicing the presence of god in the realm of the throne room amen so without further ado, I want to ask Charity Bowman-Webb to come on up and bless us with her accent. And I'm going to pray. I just want to pray over you real quick because you've done a lot of teaching this week and we want to refer over the last couple of weeks, really. So stretch out your hands, Charity. She's an awesome woman of God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should make it a quick one. Come and fill us up, God. God, we just thank you for this gift that you've given to the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you for charity and uh, for Robin and the team, Lord, and yeah, everybody. I just, we thank you for everybody, but Lord... I pray, Lord, that you would rain down your blessing, your grace, and your mercy here this morning, God. Lord, that you would uh, fill up and all she's poured out coming back to her, Lord. Uh, double, 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 double exponential. I'm not just a logarithmic a wave of your glory and your presence, oh God. Lord, let the increase come back to her as she has poured out, God. Lord, and uh, just the blessing that you have poured out in this house 
house. Over the years, Lord, we release it upon charity, upon her household, down through the generations. And God, we speak and receive and acknowledge your glory in this place this morning. And we say more, Lord, more of you, more of you. May we become more aware of your presence today. So over charity right now, we speak blessing, 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 shalom, shalom, shalom in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit who is holy, so be it, amen. Would you give her one more awesome bridge welcome? Charity Bowman Webb. Good grief. Right. (laughs) I was in the temple. I was in the temple. It was really juicy in there. Good morning. It's lovely to be here with you guys again. This is my third visit here. And uh, and I'm, it's just been lovely to bring Robin and Lauren and Brian came with me from the Highlands of Scotland and to meet together with one of my best friends in the entire universe, Susan Card. And I asked the Lord what to speak about this morning. And I've been getting pieces as we've been worshiping, but I really felt the Lord wanted me to speak on the Tabernacle of David. So I have, um, oh, Robin, could you get me my timer clock? Because it could all go horribly wrong unless I set one. Because I don't want to speak too, too long. I wanna, we want to do some demonstration as well. We want to do some impartation. And when I was worshiping, I just felt the Lord say, he also wants to do some realignment for you. Some realignment. Who needs encouragement at this stage in their life? At this particular juncture in the world? Absolutely. And this weekend, a word that kept coming to me was that the Lord wanted to give people fresh vision. You may have had vision before the whole COVID thing turned the world upside down. And the Lord might just breathe on the vision you had before. But I feel like there's more layers of all our visions to be added because God is generous. And he is taking his church into a new season, a new time. And we know this. It's fairly obvious. However, how we respond is paramount. How we respond is paramount. There's no point in talking about the the need for the church to shift, to change, for the new wine, and then do nothing about it. And I really feel wherever I'm teaching and uh, whichever people group I'm with, there's a real hunger growing to see new things, isn't there? There's a real hunger. But here's the deal. If you have a huge cupboard in your house where you store all the stuff from all the last years of your life and it's absolutely stuffed to the gunnels. You know what I mean? When you open the door, everything falls on your head. If our lives look like that, if our spiritual capacity looks like that, when God wants to pop something new into our life, we will have no space. So do you clear a space in the cupboard first? Or do you try and ram something else in and hope it's full out and make space for it? What do you think God wants? He's a faith God. Move first in faith and then I will respond. And I think that's that's a really important point. And I think one of the things that the Lord is breathing on is that there is a restoration of the tabernacle of David. There's parts that have been fulfilled through biblical history but there's parts that have not. And I'm gonna read you this scripture in Amos 9.11 to kind of set the scene. On that day, 
I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of the grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And I will bring back the captives of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up for the land I have given them, says the Lord. Now Amos 9, this prophecy about the tabernacle of David being fallen down, ruined and needing repaired, was repeated by James in Acts 15, 16 to 17. It was the start of the new church. Jesus had totally transformed the spiritual landscape, but he'd hung on the cross and left the earth and the apostles are now, they've seen the resurrected Christ, they're convicted that a new day must start. And James is speaking to the Jerusalem council and they're, they're kind of mulling over and probably arguing about, well, do we bring the Gentiles in or do we not? What do we do? This is a huge shift for the church, just like we are in right now. And James paraphrases the Amos prophecy, interestingly, right at this new shift in the church. And James said, Amos, he said, the prophecy said, after this, I will return. And I will, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so, it's a big so, that the rest of mankind may seek for God. And the Gentiles who are called by my name, the whole of humanity would seek for God. How? because of the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Does that describe to you an end times harvest? Do you think that has been fulfilled? I don't either. And I think as I studied the tabernacle of David somewhat, I began to think we have definitely done some of this because what David modeled by his close proximity to the Ark of the Covenant was the foreshadowing of the church that we have today. So as Paul said, you can come into the temple. You don't have to be a Levitical priest thousands of years ago. We can come into the temple. And one better than that, we are the temple. When Christ died and the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit filled humanity, those who believed in God. And he said, now you're it. You're the temple of the living God. Now, why is this so important for us right now? We have fulfilled this bit that we are now the temple, the veil is torn, and we have access to the close proximity of the creator of the universe. That's a big wow right there. And what do we want to do today? I don't just want to talk to you. We wanna actually invite and host the presence of the Lord to draw us closer 
closer still than maybe some of us have ever felt to the presence of the Lord. Because that's the only place that we will find what we need. We'll find everything we need in the presence of the Lord. However, as I began to look at what else was really going on in the era of David's tabernacle, I thought, broad brushstroke of the church, there is a large chunk of this that isn't active right now. A large chunk. And why is it so important, Lord? Because the scripture says it's so that all humanity can come to God. So what are we missing? What are we missing? Well, little bit of history. David has become king of Israel. The tabernacle pattern, the tabernacle of Moses is not in Jerusalem, which David has made his capital. It's actually a Gibeon and it's been there for over 360 years. And most of you know there's seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle pattern and the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat as the lid has been captured by Philistines, gone on a journey. And finally, David is able to bring this sacred, sacred piece to Jerusalem, the capital. Now that was a daring move because why didn't he return it to the sacred other six pieces because something God said was, David, I'm going to use you to bridge a new era. I'm going to use you to bridge my people into something different, to shift them. We're in a shift now with God, a big one. And if we think that we're, it's just about COVID and some pandemic and some political unrest and all that kind of stuff, no matter what nation we come from, we're missing it because God has an agenda. And I really believe I believe, well, I'll speak for maybe my own nation. I can't speak for yours, but I think, I think we're way past time to shift. I think we're past time to shift. I think it's been on God's heart for a long time. And now he really is saying to us, will you shift with me? Will you shift with me? So that all mankind will seek for the Lord. Amen. Thank yeah. you. So David establishes Jerusalem as a political capital. And in his heart, he wants to build a magnificent temple for the Lord. Like if you read the details of the tabernacle, sorry, the temple of Solomon, as it became known, it's exquisite, isn't it? It's, it's in minute detail. And here's the interior design scheme of God's choice. See, I, I'm, I'm trained as a designer. And so I'm just gonna call it what we would call it today. We would call it God's interior and architectural design scheme because he gave David the blueprints. And what we find is not what we focus on so much today in our church culture. We focus on practicality. We focus on, well, you would say butts on seats. We say something else that might be rude in this nation. But like, how many, how many chairs can you get in? How many butts can you get on the seats? at a conference or on a Sunday and how easily can we wipe them when people make a mess and we don't want anything like this stuff in churches because you know we've often been told that makes a mess and we don't want anything too not too many surprises because if we keep doing things exactly as we've always done them we know exactly what's going to happen and we'll be home for lunchtime every Sunday no surprises God nothing too challenging Let's just sing the songs we've always known and do the things we've always done. And for 99.9% .9 of that, do we really need God if we're really brutally honest? 
if we're brutally honest, and I think God wants us to begin to ask some brutally honest questions in this shift, or we will not shift, we won't shift. We'll just keep doing what's comfortable for us because it's familiar. The presence of God should not be comfortable. It should be glorious, it should be beautiful, but it should be deeply challenging. And it should be challenging every time we gather as the people of God. The first thing that we should do is seek the presence of the Lord. Not just tag him on at the end for a bit of ministry or hope that he turns up while we're doing what we know that we've got in mind to do. We've really got to say, Lord, how do we rearrange church? How do we start to gather in new ways? What kind of fresh expressions of your church need to rise up so that we don't have right now so that all mankind can seek for God? Because if all mankind were seeking for God, our churches would be packed. And that's the honest truth. But they're not, so this is not a condemning message. This is a message where we say, God, what are we missing? What is needed now as we shift? We don't look back and and lament the past. There's no condemnation in the kingdom of God. He only challenges us with new vision and new courage. And then he breathes all over it when we jump. What else was going on in this amazing kingdom of David? First of all, the plans for the temple were in full force. And God's interior design and architectural design scheme of choice looked like this paramount was beauty not plastic wipeable tables and moppable floors it was beauty we have so lost the understanding of the power of the beauty of God it's not what we think it is and I think this is a huge part of what needs restored it's powerful God chose a scheme that was absolutely floor, walls, and ceiling jam-packed with artistry. How different than what we expect today. Every area of the temple was stunningly beautiful, yet also very practical, because each one of the seven pieces of furniture had extremely important purpose. Each one represents a part of our journey deeper in towards God. So we start with the outer courts, we start with the brazen altar and the brazen laver, which talk about salvation, sacrifice, the laying down of our stuff and the washing of the water of the word. But as we come into the two inner chambers, it is holy and the presence of God would have been really thick, really, really juicy. David worshipped regularly in the temple. Now, the temple of Solomon had not been built in David's time, so he's getting the plans. This is a big project. And while it is the era of David's tabernacle, David housed the ark in a temporary tent for 40 years. But have you ever seen like the Sunday school pictures where it's like the beautiful ark and the little tent like we would take camping at the weekend? 
It doesn't make any sense. It says that 38,000 Levites were assigned to look after the temple area and the practicalities, that 4,000 of them were chosen to minister 24-7 around the Ark of the Covenant in constant creative worship, not just songs that they all knew over and over again, constant creative worship. It was the time of the Psalms, the writing of the Psalms. Then 280 of those 4,000 Levites who were musicians were handpicked as like a core team to really lead that charge. Then there were three leaders. And these leaders, it says, prophesied, not just through their words, but on their instruments, through sound. Now, what else was going on? David would draw close to God in this place. And he loved to be in there. Now here's, we all know this Sam, we all know this scripture, but I'm going to try and help us look at it from a slightly different angle. Psalm 27, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. Now, what was David's job? Who can tell me? It isn't a trick question. I I totally promise. He was the king. It's not that hard. He was the king. He was head of the government. He was a military strategist. He was incredible at advancing territory. But He was also a prolific musician, a songwriter, a leader of the worship team. He he got them all going. He arranged them with these leaders and it was like over to you. But he knew what he was doing and he set all of that in place. Did David stop worshiping when he was really busy leading the kingdom? The Psalms certainly do not indicate that David placed any less value on the artistry that he possessed and the creative worship that he released than he did on his political role, his leadership role, his management role, his strategist in military role. And one of the mistakes I think that we've made through the twists and turns of history is we have lost an understanding of the full spectrum of the value of God's character and the pieces of commissioning on his people. We've been looking at this a lot in the course this weekend. And I want to put it like this. I want you to imagine a keyboard, like on the stage. And I want you to think that every one of those keys is a, is a crucial piece of the character of God, a crucial piece. Now. What we've done with the church in this day, what we've arrived at, is that we literally maybe take a few of those keys and we portray to the world mainly through those keys, this is the character of God. And we say, if you're the pastor of a church, you're really spiritual. If you are a missionary to a really, really needy third world country, boy, you're really spiritual. But if you are a ballerina, if you are a graphic designer, if you are a visual artist, mm, not so much value, not so much value. I remember years ago, too many years ago, I went and did six months of mission work in Kenya with my husband. So my husband's a doctor, so it was pretty obvious what he was going to do at the mission hospital. And I had just finished seven full years of training in different areas of design. I had loads of qualifications and 
I, you know, people said to me, well, what will you do? And, and I said, well, no, they said, what do you do? And I told them I'm an interior designer, which is more like an interior architect in our country than here. And I've done fashion, I've done textiles, I've done art, I've done all sorts of things. So I guess any of that. And they said, and people actually laughed in my face and went, what are you going to do in Africa? How's that going to help anybody? And I went, okay. And um, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit braver now. And I thought, and I remember I took that into the secret place with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I also had a 10-month-old baby in the mix, just as an aside. But the Lord had clearly called us to go and spend this time serving in a mission base, in a mission hospital. And, and I just said, Lord, I'll paint murals on the wall of the pediatric unit where my husband works. I can paint, I could do flowers, I could cheer people up, you know, I could do all that. I don't need to do all the, all the qualification stuff if that doesn't work out there. And you know, I felt hurt, but I just gave it to Jesus. And he said, don't you worry, I've got something in mind for you. And I remember when I got there, you know, everybody was like, well, you know, the great, the great doctor has arrived and that's, that's fab. Honestly, here's what happened. He ended up bored because the unit was quiet and he ended up working part-time looking after the baby. And when we got there, we discovered that the nurses and the doctors who came from America, Australia, places in Europe, the UK, those who'd been longer term had been for two years planning and meeting to um, try and upgrade the hospital. They didn't even have an ICU, they only had an HDU, a high dependency, which meant that they didn't really have what they needed to help people. They would, um, they would try and raise funds from, they had a private hospital, so fee-paying people who could afford it so that they could give free care to the really poor who would probably die if they weren't given free care. There's no social welfare system in there in Kenya or there certainly wasn't when we were there. And you know, and then the head of surgery, who was our friend, he said, so Charity, what, what do you do one day after we'd been there a month? And I told him, he said, good Lord, you're the person we need. I was like, what? He said, we've got all these plans, we know exactly what we need, but we can't get the upgrade of funds and equipment machinery until we have a designer. Boy, was I busy. I'm telling you, I was so busy. And in the end, I don't even know how I did it. I didn't stay until it was finished because Africa things move slowly. But I did finish all the plans, all the details, everything. And in the end, we had a completely upgraded private hospital with 17 rooms. Then they had me redesign the entire physiotherapy unit. And then, oh, what else did I do? Honestly, it became a blur. There was another entire unit somewhere. Oh, the intensive care unit, that's what I did. And then I said to them, that's great. Where's the furniture catalog so I can get the nursing station and the bedside tables? And they went, oh, we, we don't have that. You'll have to design the furniture. There was a lot of going, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. But my point here is that it was design and artistry because I could do the arts too. So I brought art and stuff, you know, and had locals make stuff and all the local craftsmen. If I designed it, they made it. It was a real team effort. And the Lord made sure that it was completely finished. And they sent me all the videos of the mayor opening it all and all this stuff. And it was beautiful. It wasn't just practical. 
and it changed something and it spoke to people who needed care, but they didn't just want care in some scummy old little hospital unit. They wanted to be somewhere beautiful, somewhere that worked, that functioned like the temple and the tabernacle of Moses, good design with beauty, with excellence. And that's what the Lord is asking of us. What else was going on in David's time? He valued, oh, I'll just go back to finish my point for my story. So my point was the keyboard. This is really key. There's, actually, I didn't even mean that as a pun, but it was quite good. This is key, the keyboard. If we as the church are only showing the world five keys that we have considered sacred and the others secular and of lower value, who are we to decide that some of the areas of the character of God are less valuable than others? Who are we to do that? And yet we do it all the time. Who, who are we to say that Susan's calling into, she also works out there in the secular world, in the marketplace. She's a brilliant businesswoman. Who are we to say that this is less valuable than Paul's job as the pastor of a church? Because if we're all the pastor of a church, who's going to reach the world of the visual arts? And if we never champion people in media and in the world of the arts and entertainment, how are we ever going to see that area of society start to shift from so much darkness into so much light when it has so much influence in our times today? So I'll leave that example there. And I want you to think the next time you come across a Christian who says, oh, well, I, ju I just work in a bakery. I'm just a baker. You're not just a baker. You're a baker because God has given you that amazing skill. And he has called and commissioned you to do something brilliant with it because you carry the presence of God and the Holy Spirit within you. In the time of David, we see the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament gives us numerous examples of Davidic worship. I'm just going to list some of them here. And I, this is quite an exceptional church. You were up there dancing, you were grooving, there was energy. But there are so many places of worship we're scared to do that. And it's not a criticism because I've really studied this subject and think, how did we lose this? And the Lord took me back 500 years ago to the blow up of the Reformation and the Catholics and the Protestants and the great big war and the purification of the church, the purging of all of, well, not all, but much of the art, the beautiful architecture, the anything, you know, to do with beautiful interiors, like the, think the cathedrals of old that survived that purge. That was what churches looked like. They were full of the expression of the community that worshiped in them, in all types of creativity. And when the purge came, the Puritan movement, John Knox, all these people, what they did was they associated all of that with the disorder of the Holy Roman Catholic Church at the time. I'm not talking about it now. I'm not talking against the Catholic Church. Do not email me and do not shoot me. There are brothers and sisters. I'm talking about 500 years ago. And 500 years ago, there was only one religion and it had become very corrupt from the top. And so the Reformation was a pushback for freedom that resulted in the denominations that we know today and indeed was part of the beginning of your glorious nation. 
But what has happened is that so much of these elements that were part of this crucial restoration of the tabernacle of David have never recovered from that time. And we have a chance to breathe life upon them, to start to ask the Lord for the revelation of their value, the powerhouse that they are. If they were good enough for the Lord's choice for the tabernacle and the temple, his chosen centers of worship, where the cloud of the Lord was really, really happy to dwell amongst the art, amongst the beauty, amongst the music, amongst the poetry, amongst the dance, the cloud of the Lord rolled in the door, didn't he? In those places, and he remained there. Davidic worship includes spirit-filled worship. There's temple worship. Speaking, shouting, singing new songs, singing in the spirit, musicians playing and prophesying with instruments, dancing, lifting and clapping hands, standing, bowing down, seeking the Lord with all our heart, thanksgiving, sacrifices of praise and rejoicing. David exampled full body, soul and spirit worship. When he brought the ark into Jerusalem, he could have chosen to celebrate that moment with anything, anything at all. And it really struck me afresh about a year ago wouldn't he just have like done something amazing on the harp and written a great psalm? And maybe he did, but the Bible doesn't choose to mention it. Didn't he do an amazing big kingly speech? I mean, the guy was good with words, but it, if he did, the Bible didn't bother mentioning it. And yet the Bible has highlighted this. It's like a cameo in biblical history that David danced like a wild man. Now, we might think, oh, that sounds great. He did this as the head of the government. He did this as the head of the country. People, heads of, like your president, can you imagine your president doing that? Or our prime minister? This is the equivalent. And he decided to strip down to his linen undergarments and literally give it everything he had, the Bible says. He risked looking like a total idiot and losing everyone's respect. All the leaders of Israel were gathered for that, all of them watching him. And they could have thought, I'm not following him. He is a bit weird. But he took the gamble and he, he gave God his all and his wife criticized him for it as soon as he came back into his home, which must have really hurt and made, made him feel really vulnerable. So often that happens when we step out that the enemy will try and get to the first person he can that will hurt us. So be on guard and brush it off. Because when we start to shift the church, the enemy doesn't like it because we're going somewhere powerful together. We're going somewhere powerful. David chose to highlight dance. David chose to highlight musicianship poetry, creative writing, exploration. Do you know the Bible says that David even designed and made new instruments? Now that would release different sounds and sounds take music and worship in a new direction. Do you know the Bible says Solomon did the same thing? Solomon was given the biggest dose of wisdom that anyone had ever had until Jesus. 
And it says that even Solomon designed and made instruments. Like his father David, he championed the full spectrum of value for God and prolific results were the outcome. I want to just finish before we're gonna do some, it's 10 to 12. Now Greta said we rarely finish at 12. But after 12, honestly, if your kids need to come back in, the Lord said to me, we're gonna move into something that would welcome children. You don't have to keep them out of the room. It's completely up to you. It'll be something we can all participate in. Ephesians 5, 17 to 19. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Now the Greek word for wine here, the don't be drunk with wine, the Greek word here means drunkenness and debauchery. It doesn't mean just alcohol. I'm just gonna put, because sometimes we twist things and we twist things. Wine was quite a positive thing at times. What was Jesus' first miracle? So we need to keep things in context. He's talking about using something to replace your hunger for the presence of the Lord. Now what happens? You know, he uses the equivalent, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled or be drunk on the Holy Spirit. And what is the result? What happens here when we are filled, drinking in the Holy Spirit? We get creative. We get creative. We don't just fall over in the spirit. I love that as much as everybody else and all the other fab stuff, the laughing, whatever God wants to do, I'm probably your girl. I'm I'm probably lost dignity many times like David. But if God's moving, we just wanna get in, get in the river with him. But the scriptures take care to outline several forms of creativity here. Psalms, now the Psalms were not just words, were they? they were put to music. They were written as fresh musicianship and they were performed by skillful musicians. There's a lot in that going on. Hymns are the same. Spiritual songs, that could be with words, it could be with speaking in tongues, it could be a song made up in the moment or it could be a song that somebody's written that we know and we all love to sing together. Singing, making melody in your heart. The Bible says that God's heart is for us to be intoxicated with his Holy Spirit, to be full, to be overflowing, to be overflowing with his creativity because the creativity of the Lord is a DNA given to every single one of us at the made in his image part. He is the creator of the universe. And I may have creativity in completely different forms to you. If you work in business, you will need a different type of creativity to me. If you work in politics, you'll probably need creative problem solving and strategy and lots of solutions every day. If you're a dancer, you're going to express that in a different way. There there is no calling less valuable than the other. And I need you to hear this because I really believe the Lord wants to realign everybody in the room who's up for it today. I'll finish with a a confession so it will make you feel more like jumping in. 
In the last six months since the UK finally opened up again, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank God, because we were all feeling a bit stuck. And it began to open up and we began to plan again. Hope began to rise again. And we were able to plan. And I lead an area of Streams Ministries called Streams Creative House. You'd never guess that because I never talk about creativity. And, I, and we were, you know, for two years, we'd opened, we'd opened its doors and then I was just stuck. I couldn't get to any of the training centers. Half my leadership team are in different countries. And we were doing our best. But when the, when the world finally began to open, the Lord said, right, it's time to plan again. It's time to go. And the calendar just went and filled up home and abroad really fast. Like within six weeks, I went, wow. But in the expanse, that's all lovely. But because we reduced everything like a lot of people in COVID, we didn't have, um, we didn't have an administrator. We had me. And we had everybody, I, ha I work with so many creatives and they all have glorious grand ideas and then they leave me to do a lot of the administration. We have at times had an administrator, but it was just in the speed it all happened. And I spent six months literally just crouched over a laptop until my brain ached and thinking, Lord, I am dying here because it's not, I, I can do it, I'm like any of you, I will jump in, I will empty a bin, I will do a spreadsheet, will do what is necessary to see the wheels and cogs of the kingdom of God move. And I thought I was being really good filling the gap and all the rest of it. And then the Lord said to me, what are you doing? Well, I was on my face at Tabernacle Symposium last weekend in Dallas, in the Holy of Holies, or you know, and I'm supposed to be leading the thing and I couldn't feel the presence of God. And I went, oh, something's up. And he said to me, you are out of alignment. Oh, wow. And I went, I just thought I was getting fed up <laughs> and tired. And I hadn't, I hadn't done any art for a year. And I haven't written anything creative for ages. And I'm supposed to be leading a creative ministry. And the Lord said to me, it wasn't, it, it, you know, when some, I've actually never heard God talk to me like that. It wasn't a horrible rebuke. It wasn't a big slap upside the head, but it was a firm, loving daddy. You know the one? And he just said, you are out of alignment. That's why you're tired. You came here not prepared enough because you're a worshiper. You're a creative. I am also very, very practical and organizational. So I don't just waft about making sure everybody else does the work. I am a rubber meets the road kind of chick and a mother of two kids. I know all about work. But the Lord said to me, you're, you're here and your calling's here and you better jump quick. And he said, you keep waiting for the ultimate solution to bridge you back, but you actually just need to stop and put all the energy that you are pouring in to try and fill all the gaps that no one will fill and you're waiting, you're putting all this energy into this. And he said, and actually I need you to shift all your energy into faith. And I need you to get realigned. And I'm telling you, I am going home and already the solutions have manifested on this trip. Provision, people, ideas, finances, because I got on my face and repented before the Lord. And what he was offering me here is everything I want to do. So this was not like a bad conversation with God. You know, it was like, you mean I can really, I can jump back? And he said, if I had never talked to you this kind of firmly, 
you would never have believed you could really jump. And he said, it was a fear of the Lord moment. And he said, if you don't move, you will be the cork in the bottle. You, because your calling is to release loads of people into their creativity and to champion them and release them. And I love that. He said, but if you spend all your time administrating and doing emails that other people could be doing, gifted administrators. So I've already said it to you, that's no less valuable than what I'm doing. It's a different gift mix. My sister's a great administrator, manager, event manager extraordinaire, and she thinks of things with joy to solution solve. And I just think, oh God. <laughs> And I want you to start asking yourself, are you out of alignment? I want you to start letting the Lord start to move among you because some of you are out of alignment. And I felt like I needed to share that honesty with you so you didn't think I was rebuking or being super spiritual or I'm always in alignment. When God said to me, jump, it was the biggest relief of about the last five years. And the solutions began to come. They began to manifest, they began to come. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna move into a time of releasing two specific sounds. And if this has touched your heart, we only have so much time. I did bring copies of a book that I've spent four and a half years pouring out this message in much greater detail called Creative Fusion. I'm not trying to sell the book, believe me. If this touches your heart and it is helping you, we do have products available. But what I want to do now is give you and God time. And I, I heard two specific things when I was um, just speaking to the Lord. First, he's going to release the sound of beauty and realignment. And in this time, I want you to bring before the Lord, is there anything that you are recognizing as out of alignment? Are you tired? Are you pushing? Are you weary? Do you feel like you wish you had time for this, but you never do? Yet this is the thing that gives you life and joy. Have you quenched parts of your calling because you have believed they're not as valuable, they're secular, whereas other stuff is sacred? The people up the front of churches with microphones are super spiritual. We're sacred and you're not because you have a real job. <laughs> this is a job, but you know what I'm saying. I'm so tired of hearing God's beautiful people who work really hard feel that their day job is not the place of commission and calling to see the kingdom advance across the earth. So the tabernacle of David through every key on that board must be restored so that all mankind, all humanity will seek for God and we will move through the great harvest as we're supposed to do. But if we don't restore the keys, where are the courageous pioneers? Where are the courageous pioneers in God's church because we don't champion them enough? They're frequently quenched because we don't want to change. And I think we, I think we, need to just repent corporately. I just heard that from the Lord. Just a little bit of corporate repentance. And then I want to give you that time to let the Lord show you like he showed me so graciously. How do you need to be realigned? It may not be all the things you're doing. It may just be some pieces that I saw click back into place and other things fall off. 
And you may not know who's going to do that if I don't do it. That's exactly what I said to the Lord. And he started giving me solutions when I stopped asking the wrong question and said, right, Lord, you are the God of solutions. And I actually teach this, so I should actually be doing it. It was just a thought. So Father God, we love you. And even those of us who write and teach, Lord, we constantly have to come deeper in and stand in the light of the menorah and receive the impartation of your wisdom, constantly realigning with you, constantly checking that we are where you need us to be. Because when we hit that place, it will always be challenging, but it will feel glorious. Lord, we just stand in the place of your church and we repent, Father God, for where we have devalued certain callings and commissions, where we've devalued those commissions because they express a part of your character, who you are. We say we want more of you, Father. And then we have in mind exactly what that should look like. But the move of God that's coming to breathe on the nations is to restore the full keyboard, the full spectrum of value to every workplace calling, every area of culture calling. From the cleaners, to the dancers, to the painters, to the engineers, to the teachers, to the families, right across the board, to the pastors, to the ministers, to those who work with children. Lord, I could go on and on to the politicians. Every single job that you've given us to do as a commission when we're in alignment. And one is never more valuable than the other in your eyes. Father God, we repent where we've done that and we ask for your forgiveness. We repent, Lord, where we've believed the lies of the enemy, that what we're doing in our life is not important, that it's not a calling, that it's not a commission. We think it's secular and not sacred. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and restore to us the understanding of what is sacred and the importance of your beauty that will flow through it. Lord, as we just have got no idea what you're gonna do, we're just trying to be obedient. But we believe, Lord, that as you release the sound of beauty, Father God, that you would realign us. And we're just gonna receive this sound. Okay, this will be, might be quite different for some of you, but I'd like to invite Brian and Lorna and Jean to come up. We still, there's Jean. And they don't know what this sound is going to be, so we're going to pray for them. What we love to do is explore and experiment. And we're going to do this for a wee bit, and then I, I hear a complete sound shift, something that will engage you and include you in that. But let's start here.
Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.